Welcome to the show. Voters in Oregon appear to be having a bout of the dumbass. I'm not going to take much of your time today, but I believe it's worth a few minutes to examine what's been happening in Oregon because it's illustrative of what happens when people vote from emotion rather than using their brains. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. We're going to address two issues today, the outcome of Oregon Measures 110 and 114. We'll start with Measure 110. Measure 110, known as the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act, was passed by voters in November 2020 and decriminalized certain hard drugs. While the measure also funded a significant increase in treatment funding, most of the increased funding didn't kick in until August 2022, 19 months after the decriminalization took effect. That said, I don't believe there would have been any different outcome had the treatment funding been available from day one. Oregonians are now upset with the results of Measure 110 because there has been a fourfold increase in drug deaths. To which I say, right? And your point is what? What the hell did they think was going to happen? I'm going to try to make this very simple so even... Oregon voters can understand. Decriminalizing drugs does not magically cause users or addicts to make better choices, such as seeking treatment. To be blunt, that expectation is just plain stupid. It's childish. The true goal of decriminalization, when voted for by intelligent people, is that users can make whatever choice they want without being locked in a cage for doing so. In other words, users are free to get clean. They are free to keep using at their normal level. They are free to do shit that results in their death. Whichever they choose, they are not locked in a cage at the taxpayer's expense for months or years. The point is, they get to choose, which is what personal liberty is all about. But Dave, the idiots cry... These are drug addicts we're talking about, not normal people. Okay, (laughs) so here's the thing. Personal liberty isn't something that applies only if or when people make good choices or choices with which you agree. Any more than free speech applies only if or when a person says things with which you agree or find acceptable. I suspect the same people who imagined giving addicts a choice would save lives are the same people who feel it's fine to engage in censoring speech with which they don't approve. Is there anyone who is unaware that addicts have psychological issues? To be blunt, they're fucked up. But lots of people in the world are fucked up in different ways. Some are drug addicts. Others aren't. Some people who are fucked up become millionaires. Others live their lives in poverty. Some become emotionally abusive partners. Others are terrible parents who fuck up their children's lives. Some fucked up people have mastered their outward presentation and appear fairly normal until you get to know them. The point is that a shit ton of Americans are fucked up, yet they retain their personal liberty, their freedom to live freely while being fucked up. By 1914, every state in the Union had passed laws prohibiting the sale and use of cocaine. Then, at the beginning of the 1970s, the war on drugs kicked off. The war on drugs didn't stop anyone from getting drugs, then or now, but it did cripple the Fourth Amendment in significant ways. 
My point is that no matter where you want to look on the 20th century timeline, politicians had decided, and the courts went along, that if the manifestation of how a person is fucked up was to become addicted to a substance, then he or she could be locked in a cage for their particular form of being fucked up. In November 2020, Oregon voters chose to end the paradigm of locking addicts in cages. I think that's great. But they seem to have imagined that not locking Oregonians in cages for addiction wouldn't increase drug deaths. Now that they know there have been an increase in deaths, there's a movement afoot to reverse Measure 110. I can't pretend to think like nutty Oregon leftists, but it seems that since decriminalization didn't produce the sunshine and rainbows they thought it would, they want to start locking addicts in cages again. Oregon voters, it honestly looks to me like you have no clue about drugs, addiction, human nature, or personal liberty. I don't mean to be pejorative, but you guys need to grow the fuck up and see the world as adults do. Let's shift gears and talk about Measure 114. This is another case of looking at Oregon voters and wondering, what the hell are they thinking? In November 2022, Oregon voters narrowly passed Measure 114, which does some really stupid things. First, it requires all Oregon residents to buy a license in order to purchase or own a firearm. 114 also limits magazines to just 10 rounds. Let's consider the license requirement for a moment. In SCOTUS's McDonald decision in 2010, the court decided the right to keep and bear arms is an individual, constitutionally protected right, no different than any other enumerated right in the Constitution. So, tell me, is there a requirement to have a license to exercise free speech? How about worship? Do I need a license to speak to you today as a commentator? What license is required to petition the government for redress of grievance? The answer to all of those is the government cannot impose the requirement of a license to exercise a right. Phrased another way, the government cannot restrict you from exercising a right because you didn't ask the government for permission, which is what a license is, asking the government for permission. How about being secure in your person, house, and papers against government intrusion? Do you need to get a license from the government to be protected from unlawful search and seizure by the government? Yet somehow, idiot voters in Oregon believe the right to keep and bear arms is different than any other right. They believe they can vote into existence a requirement to get a permission slip from the government to exercise an individual constitutionally protected right. 114 has been challenged in two courts, one federal and one state. At the federal district court level, the case was decided in favor of the measure by an activist judge making shit up to get the results she wanted rather than following the law of the land as decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll get to that in a minute. Another challenge was made in the Harney County Circuit Court of Oregon, and Judge Robert Rascio permanently enjoined enforcement of 114 based on his determination that it violates the Oregon Constitution. Supporters of Measure 114 asked the Oregon Supreme Court to step in and reverse Judge Rascio on an emergency basis. The Supreme Court declined to do so, which means now the Circuit Court ruling will have to work its way through the ordinary and lengthy appeals process. I laughed when I read the federal judge had ruled that Oregon's law was valid under SCOTUS's Bruin test because the law complies with, quote, the nation's history and tradition of regulating uniquely dangerous features of weapons and firearms to protect 
public safety. Close quote. If you've ever wondered whether federal judges corruptly engage in outcome-based law, District Judge Karen Immergut is a prime example. Under the Supreme Court's Bruin test, the standard is not whether restrictions on things like magazine capacity took place at any time in the nation's history, but specifically during the founding era and the years immediately thereafter. And, of course, we know there were no such restrictions during that era. Judge Immergut claims that magazines that can hold more than 10 rounds are uniquely dangerous. That is completely false political propaganda. Can I prove that? Why, yes, yes I can. Many years ago, my good friend Bill Carnes and I filmed a video in which we simulated shooting targets, such as one might encounter in a mass shooting, using magazines limited to 10 rounds. We then ran the exercise again with magazines holding more than 10 rounds. I think you'll find the results fascinating. I'll put the link to that video down in the notes. Judge Immergut states that such restrictions are permissible if they, supposedly, promote the state interest of public safety. The Bruin test, fashioned by the U.S. Supreme Court in June 2022, specifically ended the public safety standard, which had been operative for decades. The court did so because the public safety standard was political nonsense. All a government attorney had to do under the public safety standard was assert in court that the legislation had as its goal to increase public safety, and the court would say, Oh, well, if you're restricting the unalienable rights of citizens who've never harmed anyone using the unsupported claim that doing so will increase public safety, well, then it's okay to restrict their rights. Well, that's clearly an absurd standard. It was the operative standard in most judicial districts for decades. In Bruin, the Supreme Court put an end to that standard, yet Judge Immergut still applied it. Even if we leap forward in time to an era that is not part of the Bruin test, say the 1860s, there was a repeating rifle called the Spencer. When used with a Blakesley quickloader, the equivalent of a high-capacity magazine, the Spencer could fire 20 rounds a minute, which was lightning fast in that day. But guess what? Anyone could buy a Spencer rifle. There were no restrictions anywhere in the United States on owning a Spencer. So, not only were there no laws during the founding era that restricted a weapon's capacity or rate of fire, but 70 years later, there were still no laws restricting capacity or rate of fire. In other words, Judge Immergut lied in order to unconstitutionally restrict the rights of American citizens living in Oregon. Due to the points we've just discussed, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals will strike down Immergut's decision. When the left-leaning Ninth Circuit strikes down an anti-gun decision, you know the judge's decision was corrupt. And by corrupt, I mean putting her personal agenda before the rights of American citizens. The bottom line for me in all of this is, what are Oregon voters thinking? They want to start locking drug users in government cages again and unconstitutionally force their fellow citizens to get government permission to exercise an unalienable right. Oregon voters... You need to grow up and start acting like adults. Before I go, I'm running a cool post-Christmas special on body science and income tax shattering the myths. If you loathe that the establishment lies about seemingly everything, you'll find these two of the most fascinating books you'll ever read. I'll give you a brief summation of what the books will bring to your life and then tell you how you can get a great deal on them. Body science sets the record straight about how human physiology really works and how you can get stunningly healthy and leave virtually all disease behind forever. I'm not going to tell you anything more about it. I'm simply going to share a couple of reader comments from social media and then move on.
Before I do, I want to tell you that I conceal the names and photos because I screenshot these comments and I don't reach out asking permission to use their names and photos because I didn't seek their permission to use names and photos. I don't. One reader said, I've told you before that your book, Body Science, changed my life for the better. Harold said, this book is opening my eyes to how our bodies work. This is the true stuff that needs to be taught in classrooms nationwide. Another reader said this, the pharma industrial complex is glaring at body science right now. I love that one. Income tax shattering the myth shows you with mountains of 100% incontrovertible evidence that Congress has never imposed the income tax on ordinary working Americans like you. I had to laugh because recently someone who had not read income tax shattering the myth said that when I tell my countrymen the truth about the income tax, I sound like a conspiracy theorist. Isn't that always the way of it in America these days? Those who haven't learned the facts, who haven't seen the evidence and blindly believe the government, call those who've seen facts, data, and evidence conspiracy theorists. Back in 2021, when I said the mRNA injections didn't prevent transmission, I was called a conspiracy theorist. Today, we know that what I told the public was factual. When I said the jab offers no durable protection and those who want whatever temporary and trivial protection it provides would have to get ongoing shots, I was called a conspiracy theorist. Now we know what I told the public is factual. When I said the only thing lockdowns would do was to briefly delay the inevitable, I was called a conspiracy theorist. Today we know that was a factual statement. When I said social distancing was a nonsense measure, I was called a conspiracy theorist. Now we know what I told the public is factual. Fauci recently admitted in a closed-door congressional hearing that there was no scientific basis for that measure. When I said masks don't work, I was called a conspiracy theorist. Today, we have the most authoritative report on the subject, the Cochrane Collaboration Retrospective Meta-Analysis that reviewed only studies of the highest quality, specifically proving masks don't work. To be precise, the study found that wearing masks, quote, makes little or no difference, close quote. Thus, scientifically establishing my statement was 100% factual. My point in sharing those facts is that, unfortunately, it seems commonplace these days for people to assert something is a conspiracy theory simply because what is being put out contradicts the person's existing belief and he or she has never seen the facts, data, and evidence. That's exactly what is taking place when someone says income tax shattering the mist contains conspiracy theories. Do you know who has never said that? That would be the tens of thousands of people who've read it. How foolish is it to condemn facts, data, and evidence as a conspiracy theory without ever having seen the facts, data, and evidence? There's a reason Income Tax Shattering the Mist has received a five-star rating from virtually every reader over the past 14 years. That reality is why I love this message from Stephen, who emailed me to say, quote, Convinced that this was another Larkin Rose or Irwin Schiff scheme... I listened to several of your videos, then eventually bought your book with the sole intention of debunking it. I ended up reading it cover to cover three times before researching each citation. On my second read-through, I went from a complete skeptic to cautiously optimistic. On my third read-through, while looking up each citation, I was completely convinced you had figured it out. Close quote. Along the same lines, this reader said, at first, I tried to prove you wrong, which led me to see you are correct. Skepticism is an important intellectual tool. 
that was proven in spades over the last several years. But ignorance and skepticism are not the same. Skepticism requires knowledge of at least some of the facts. So like Stephen, even if you're initially skeptical, do what he did. Get income tax shattering the myths and read it with skepticism. I encourage it because as Stephen learned, there is no way to see the facts, data, and evidence and wind up anything other than thoroughly convinced the United States government is lying to an entire nation. Okay, enough of that. What's the special offer? For a limited time, I'm running an after-Christmas special on the bundle of income tax, shattering the myths, and body science. If you use the coupon code FREEBIE at checkout, I will pay the shipping and personally inscribe and autograph both your books. I'll put the link and the code down in the notes. Not only will Income Tax, Shattering the Myths, and Body Science be two of the most fascinating books you will ever read, but purchasing them helps me to continue to be here for you with these revealing and thought-provoking presentation. Thanks for being here. Take care.